How long was Neil Armstrong actually on the moon? When did Europe start speaking English? Did Marco Polo really go to China? CuriosityStream is the streaming service for all things history, plus science, wildlife, and more. What's the real story behind the Mona Lisa? We've got that. What caused the collapse of Rome? We know. Where did we find mankind's earliest ancestor? Come find out. For the holidays, give the gift of curiosity with 25% off gift cards for your curious cohorts. It's holiday shopping season at curiositystream.com gift. Tis the season for chicken fingers at Raising Cane's. Warm up with cooked-to-order chicken fingers, crispy crinkle-cut fries, Texas toast, and the real source of holiday magic, cane sauce. Happy holidays from Raising Cane's Chicken Fingers. One love. This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Custard TV podcast. It is me again, Matt, still here, uh, Dawn Glenn. I, I say how are you, Dawn, but I know how you are, but tell the listeners. I'm terrible, thanks for asking. I apologise <laughs> to everybody for my voice. Despite the fact I relegated myself to the spare room, I still caught my husband's cough and so I'm suffering pathetically. Please send all sympathy and chocolate. Thank you. <laughs> Because you opened the door at midnight, as we established last week. That was it. I let him open the door. I opened the door to him at midnight, and now look at the price I'm paying. So let that be a lesson to everybody. From about half a dozen podcasts, he can tell you himself in a minute. It's uh, Sucky. How are you, Sucky? Uh, I'm just feeling a bit uh, in sync with Dawn there, because Christmas time, I had my whole family round, and I went down with the flu. Not Calvin, the flu. And by the time they all left... They all had it. <laughs> That's it, though, isn't it? Now I think everyone is getting this horrible, fluey, buggy thing that that seems to be going around. Touchwood, I've not had it yet. I've had all my jabs, so I'm. You're on with two people that have already had it, so I'm be- pretty sure you're well, going to get I'm it on one of us. I'm hoping that the Skype is not like a super spreader. Fingers crossed. This could be a podcast. Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Uh, definitely not. Anyone with a computer can make one. This is the Custard TV podcast. Yes, that would entertain me briefly. From thecustardtv.com. Not a great week on the terrestrial channel, so we have gone over to streaming. We have got on Netflix, Copenhagen Cowboy. Prime Video, we've got The Rig. On Disney Plus, we've got Welcome to Chippendales. And on Now and Sky Sci-Fi, we have got Reginald the Vampire. Let's just go through some of the plugs. Sucky, uh, I, I mentioned it at the top there. Do you want to mention all of your many podcasts to the listeners? Half a dozen, you said. Half a do- I ain't got half a dozen, man. <laughs> We're down to two. Around the Console, which is a Doctor Who podcast. And you can find us at A The Console. That's on Twitter. And then we've got your Star Trek podcast, which is at Trek This Out Pod. And have we got recent episodes of both? How often do they come uh, out? Well, the, at the console one, we just did a little review at Christmas, which we put out of a, one of the Christmas Doctor Who episodes. But the Trek This Out has been on a sort of semi-break, I could say, in that we, I've got a family called the Davies family who, who've come on. They're putting out episodes and I'm editing them, putting them out for them. And they're reviewing Star Trek Prodigy because you've got mother and father of big Star Trek fans and their two daughters who are teen, preteen, and they're also Star Trek fans. And they're uh, reviewing what was the teen Star Trek show, which is Prodigy. And then I'm just editing their podcast and putting it onto our feed. But we should be back for Picard in January. But the only problem there, which I haven't told the other co-hosts, is when Picard starts, I'm in India. <laughs> <laughs> so there might be a bit of a backlog. 
I, I might uh, get in touch with Paramount and ask them to delay the, you know, the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah just get in touch with Patrick Stewart. I'm sure he'll be uh, happy with that. As some of our listeners will know, I, we asked all our contributors for top 10 lists uh, of their shows of last year. I had no idea there were that many Star Trek shows until Sophie sent me his <laughs> top 24 list that he sent me. I sent you a list. Yeah. And then I was going to put them all in order. And I put the top 10 in order. But I forgot to take off the rest. Yeah. No, these are my other 14 that I would have liked to have included. But uh, but it's just the amount of, of Star Trek. I was like, I did not know that were that many Star Trek shows on Yes. At this current point in time. They're still popping up now. I mean, Picard starts, as I said, January. Discovery starts sometime in the new year. Lower Decks will be back. And I believe uh, Prodigy got a second season as well. I mean, Dawn, you did have quite a long list of your top ten shows as well, did you not? Picard was in there and I, I relegated. There's still a lot from last year I haven't seen. I still haven't seen Severance and White Lotus and... You know, I could probably redo it again in another month. But and I'm I'd... surprised you're still on the podcast, if I'm honest, still with not seeing all those programs. <laughs> I've not seen Severance or White Lotus, so, you know. Do you want to just quickly, if this is people's first uh, podcast with us, just mention The Shipyard and, and go through yeah. what that's all about? We are a podcast devoted to the world of shipping, slow-burn relationship, will they, won't they, the unresolved sexual tension think of stuff like the x-files and uh, moonlighting in recent times basically we've been going through a to z of shipping shows just talking through those relationships are they done well are they done quickly enough what happens when people get together and then does everybody lose interest um and we talk through a lot of different shows from the 80s 90s british american we've done miranda dempsey and make peace Looking at, uh, at the currently at the moment at Chicago Fire and the Rookie, they've got some good ships going on. So uh, if you're interested in shipping or one particular ship, do check us out. Our Christmas episode is still floating in YouTube ether. It's a place where we were discussing Christmas Invasion, uh, David Tennant's first Doctor Who and the ship between the Doctor and Rose. We are at the Shipyard UST on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube and on Spotify and all other podcast platforms. Dawn has also got something up there. If you heard our review last week of Our Flag Means Death, she has written a word review. (laughs) (laughs) Also up there, um, Amy has uh, reviewed the first episode of Happy Valley and Luke has put together a list of 23 programmes that he is looking forward to in 2023. You see what he did there. Um, and the Custard TV podcast is available on all your podcast apps of choice, uh, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, those sort of things. Please rate, review and subscribe on those. If you'd like to get in touch with us, if you'd like to be uh, part of the podcast one week, uh, please get in touch at Matt's TV Bites for me, at Luke Custard TV for Luke at Custard TV Pod. Um, you can find us on Facebook. We are now on Instagram as well. At it's the Custard TV. Email is custardtvreviews at gmail.com. So there's loads and loads of ways you can get in touch with us and say, I want to be on the podcast. It sounds ace. This is the Custard TV Podcast. First up, let's do uh, The Rig. This is a thriller, I would say, uh, from Prime Video. 
Dawn uh, is on because this is very Scottish and she has come on to translate it for us today. Uh, set on the uh, crew of uh, offshore oil rig. We sort of meet the crew all in the rec room, looking forward to uh, a lot of them are being helicoptered home to their families. We meet a, a young lad by the name of Baz, uh, who learns quickly that his seat on the helicopter has been given to Fulmer, who is uh, the comms expert on the rig. He is played by uh, Martin Compton, who, like in the line of duty, is playing a very horny character in this, <laughs> I thought. Their boss, Magnus, informs them quickly that the helicopter's not coming, plans have changed, uh, but quickly things can go from bad to worse. The power goes down on the rig. And then there's a cloud of ominous fog looming that sort of engulfs them all. Uh, the comms later go down. This uh, forces Baz and Fulmer to climb up a tower. When on top of the tower, they have an argument, which is never a good idea, especially in TV shows. Fulmer goes down first and then Baz crashes down to earth to his almost death. They manage to sort of make him comfortable, but they basically tell the others that unless they can sort of airlift him out that he's uh, done for. This accident leads to an almost mutiny, is led by Hutton, played by Owen Teal, who is very much the shit disturber on the rig. He finds paperwork on Magnus's desk, revealing that the entire crew is soon to all lose their jobs. And then Ash starts to fall from the sky, and we get one final twist, which is delivered by Baz, reveals that all the crew are in peril and... My guess is that not a lot of them will make it through to the end. I really enjoyed this first episode. I put out on Twitter uh, that I was going to be reviewing the rig and somebody put out there saying, yeah, it's very good. And it's got a very Doctor Who-like uh, premise. And I thought to myself, why has it got a Doctor Who-like premise? And I realised what they talked about. There's a story called The Horror of Fang Rock from the 1970s where it's set on an island where there's a lighthouse. And a mysterious fog rolls in, and one by one, the people on the island get killed off. And this just reminded me of that. I liked a lot of the dynamics going on between the crew. You've got the, as you said, the disturber. You've got uh, Mark Bonner as the, the seasoned head who just reads a book and lets everything go past him. He's got then, glasses, which means he's <laughs> the wise one. Oh, we've all got glasses on here yeah. on Skype, so we're all wise ones. But these but are glasses he takes off and puts <laughs> on when he wants to sort of deliver some wise words, aren't they? Oh, right, yes, he does <laughs> do that, yes. You've got Ian Glenn as a platform boss, and he's trying to keep the whole crew together because he knows what's going on, and he's playing it really, really well. He's frustrated by having Emily Hampshire as, like an overseer, who's not exactly his boss, but he's, she's there. He's hitting heads with her. But then you've also got Emily Hampshire's character uh, with Martin Rose Compton. is. Rose. Rose. She's a representative from the oil company, isn't she? That's her role. Rose and uh, Fulmer uh, having a little naughty-naughty sessions here, there, and everyone, probably. So you've got all these little dynamics going on, and it just really sucked me in. But then the whole mystery of the fog rolling in and the blackouts and... Uh, got my interest even further so i was really really invested in this and i will be carrying on watching the rest of these uh five six episodes left yeah. i think i think this is this seems to be a really class supernatural thriller maybe possibly sci-fi i don't know if it's sci-fi it might be aliens for all i know mm. i've yet to watch these episodes but also i'm looking forward to seeing how this uh all finishes like basically one thing i didn't mention is when they go up the tower we see anyway Birds who have died, meaning yeah. 
this foggy may well be lethal and may have caused uh, Baz's accident also. Um, Dawn, you revealed to us before we started recording that you watched an entire series. Was this the one you watched? Good guess, yeah. Yes. Well, you know, as I said, all, all, all talking Scotch, ain't they, as the old piracy video used to say. Ian Glenn, same surname, he's one of my... Oh, yeah, yeah. I've got to support the family business. <laughs> no, I think it's a perfect binge watch when you're ill kind of show. Because although it is exciting and a bit edge of your seat kind of thing, it wasn't too taxing, you know? It's not aiming to be the highest of brow, I don't think, but it does what it does very well. When it started, I thought this is going to be something like, you know, Deep Blue Sea, that film with Samuel L. Jackson and L.L. Cool J, where they're all in a, I think they're in a test centre in the middle of the ocean and one by one they get picked off. It's not a huge spoiler to say that's not what it is exactly. It's a much more complex thing. The fog and what's causing it and why everything is happening but it's much more interesting when we first saw Baz I was like oh he's got red shirt written all over him <laughs> angry young man he's going to be dead before the end of this episode he falls from the, the sky and you think oh well he is but then he's not dead as we see at the end of the first episode and I thought that was a really good twist in it that he he actually is is uh, um, an important character. He's not just, oh, no, he's the first to die and that's it. He is part, you know, when he comes up to the helipad and says what he says, he is uh, a driving force in the plot. And I thought that was a really interesting, rather than having it be one of the central characters, Martin Thompson or um, Ian Glenn. I really liked the dynamics of everybody. I thought it was a realistic portrayal of people who are, in a circumstance like that, where they're living together 24-7 in a very small amount of space, and they are a family, but also they have the same kind of fallout, you know, that families have. And Owen Teal, who I feel he always plays a belligerent Welshman. He's got the face for it, hasn't he? His face just just has that sort of sense of someone who's just constantly pissed off all the time. That's what (laughs) it looks like. He's the only character I didn't really believe in myself, actually. I mean, it was great portrayal, the way he was. But I was thinking, would you really have a character that was constantly in your face and constantly making trouble on an all rig when, you know, an enclosed space like this with all these other people? I think in a workplace, you always have someone who's the dissenting voice, don't you? I think it's amplified here. But what I got was he's always having little digs behind people's backs about the main man and and he uh, you know is amplified as as the tension grows and as things get worse i think that's what's going on there that he you know he's not always like this that's how i read it anyway but because of what's going on it's been amplified it's a revealed sort of i, I can't remember if it's brought up in the first episode that he and ian glenn have worked together for 20 years so um i think obviously there is a, a degree that you must say this, this guy is really good at his job, but in order to get him, you have to put up this personality. So, But in terms of the um, secondary characters, I thought that um, Heather, who was played by Molly Beavers, I, I don't know, Scottish young woman, I thought she was really captivating. She's a young woman who, with a, a Christian faith, and I just found her a very interesting 
you know, she had a good place and an unusual place in this team of a lot of men. There were there are women in it as well, obviously, but she is an unusual character because she's a young, sensitive woman, but she's really fits in and you know, she doesn't let the guys give her any jet. I'd never seen her in anything before, I don't think, but somebody I would definitely look out for. The one that stood out for me was Roshenda Sandal, the medic. Uh, I think she was fantastic in this episode, the way she, she took charge, but she knew that she couldn't do nothing. But then there's also that bit with in the corridor with uh, Owen Teal's character. He basically attacks her and she just takes him out because she knows his medic. She knows he's got a dodgy knee because of yeah. his medical file. <laughs> Which was a great scene. I don't know if you watched Line of Duty, Sucky, but she was, yes, she was in that, the... Stephen Graham season. I mean, she's a fantastic actress, and I think being in um, in Line of Duty has has risen her stock. And and actually, she looked different in this, but she was really striking. And you see, like you know, she's got a partner at home, female partner, and um, she is like a strong presence on this ship as the medic. I would say that the one character who didn't work for me and uh, was was Emily Hampshire's character of Rose. I don't know if if that continues dawn as it goes on but i don't know if it's because she's the only american here but it was like you know she's the outsider in more ways than one because she works for the company she's not one of the crew the england's character tries to sort of speak down to her and she's like well i'm not one of your employees you're treating me like this and he's sort of undermining her in every way and and i don't think it helps that she's having a relationship with the the former character as i say you know there's that shot early on where you can just see martin Compton sort of checking her out from behind and was like oh we know where this is going and this is steve on its level of randiness isn't it again it's that us and them it's some i suppose is he one of the lads or is he you know with the corporate suit really the people who have come in to destroy what we know and are are getting rid of our jobs basically and again that's quite a a relevant topic isn't it you know this liquidization of the of the company is a good way to to add that tension to you know this sort of supernatural element having this sort of human element to it as well you know that they're all sort of i assume fighting to survive but when we get off you know, we are coming into a world where we're not going to have this job and what's our future going to be? The setting of it being on a wreck, initially I just thought, well, that's a clever way to isolate people and, you know, like vigil with a submarine or whatever, you know, and it creates, builds attention, whatever. But the plot of it is, is central to that location. The oil industry is the key story that they're going to be shutting it down. And I think it's a very clever way to tie a lot of different things together but just have it seemingly as be oh yeah this is a good location for a, a scary thriller but it's actually really well plotted out. I was reading as well the writer David McPherson his dad worked on rigs for years so he has got that sort of experience of it you know it's something he, he he's aware of you know you do have that authenticity I, I will go back to that initial shot of the rec room where you just go through and you're meeting all these characters in quite a natural habitat there's no exposition here you know it's just introducing us to characters we're not getting their entire backstory in one go but we're sort of understanding their characteristics which i think is a really good way of working it as i said you know that they go over to mark bonner who's there with his book and 
Baz is getting sort of verbally battered by, I think it's by Kat, who's playing Paul and, and stuff like that, you know, and you just get an idea of who everyone is, but in a in a naturalistic way. And I suppose despite the supernatural elements, I think at its heart, you have got a really solid drama that does feel based in reality, really. Just to say as well, the direction is from uh, John Strickland, who is an experienced TV director and has worked with uh, Jen Mercurio, just to link it back to Line of Duty again. Um, he's directed a fair few episodes of Line of Duty, Bodyguard and Bodies as well. So very spe- And I thought that as well, you know, raising the tension brilliantly. So yeah, that's the rig. It's on Prime Video. Oh, Suki, do you want to... Yeah, I was just going to say, you're going on about the direction. Mm. I have the because you've said John Strickland, he's done mm. more realistic programs in Line of Duty. Mm. These are all without special effects, whereas yeah. this has special effects. Mm. And it seemed, re- and watching the actual show, those special effects didn't stand out. They, they were natural. They were just like, mm. oh, that's really poor. That looks bad. They just looked okay. They just looked yeah. really good. So, yeah, I'm quite happy with the look of the show as well. Yeah. Prime Video, um, as we said, the six episodes, apparently very good to binge if you're not feeling very well. And that is available now. We will move to something completely different now with Welcome to Chippendales. Um, as the title would suggest, this is the story of the history of the famed male strip group. The story that you didn't really know that you wanted to know the origins of, but they, they've done it anyway. Uh, we're introduced to Somen Banerjee. Uh, he's a put-upon gas station employee. He saved up most of his wages uh, to leave his life as a sort of store assistant behind. And he is very influenced by um, American businessmen, most notably Hugh Hefner. He's done research into that one of Americans' favourite pastimes is backgammon. So he's like, well, I can buy a club and turn it into a backgammon club. And everyone's going to come. Only nobody comes. Someone by this point has changed his name to Steve. He meets a club promoter by the name of Paul Scheider, um, who claims that he can use his influence to turn the club around. However, Steve later learns that Paul is somewhat of a charlatan and is using their new partnership to raise his own stock and impress his Playboy playmate girlfriend, Dorothy Stratton. Uh, When Paul, Steve and Dorothy visit a gay bar, Steve notices the female reaction to the male strippers who perform there and decides to open his own strip club for women. Although the newly rechristened Chippendales is successful, uh, the routine itself is disorganised. Steve seeks the services of two-time Emmy award-winning choreographer Nick DeNoia to help devise routines for the strippers. Paul becomes increasingly jealous of Nick's position at the club and later of Dorothy's accepting of an audition with director Peter Bogdanovich. So while Steve's increasing success carries on, it's marked with uh, real life tragedy as the first episode comes to an end. Now, I only watched the first one. I'm not sure about you guys, but reading a review, apparently it's it's worth watching the second one as well. Apparently, Juliette Lewis comes into it and Annalie Ashford. Did either of you go on at all? I watched it. No, no. I don't. So, John, does it does it change as a show? Because I got the impression, I'll, I'll give my views in a minute, but I, I got the impression that the story that they're telling in the first episode is a lot around Paul and Dorothy. And obviously, you know, anyone who knows that story knows how it ends. And they're introducing like the Murray Bartlett character of Nick. And obviously he looks to become more prominent. And as I've read, they they introduce these new female characters. So does it change sort of tone in that second episode? No, I think it was still quite 
optimistic, I suppose, in that, you know, it's all about him, all, how all these decisions are made that make the Chippendales become the Chippendales and su- successful. Uh, there is a bit more focus on Nick in the second episode, and we find out more about him. Uh, Juliet Lewis is only in it a, a small amount, and the other character, Irene, she becomes Steve's wife in the future. Uh, but she's introduced and she's a, a much bigger character. And it still has the same kind of American dream feel of all these people who are being drawn to it because they want to make something of themselves and they think that the Chippendales is going to be the, the, the thing to do it for them. And what did you make to what we've watched the first episode? And did you, do you think it was a good sort of introduction? I mean, you, you decided to go on, so... I wanted to see what the repercussion is. Obviously, the end of the first episode is such a big dramatic incident of the, the suicide and, and, and murder that I thought, okay, is this going to be really dark in the second? But it really wasn't. So I, that was it was more intrigue than interest, if you know what I mean. I think it is a very American thing because it is about the American dream that he's come from. I can't remember if he said it was Bangladesh or, or India I came from. And he is pursuing his dream and he utterly believes it and that he can do it and he can be the next Hugh Hefner. And then obviously things don't go as well as, as he planned. And that is a very interesting, but it is a, a well-worn story of the, you know, the American dream is tainted and a lot harder and darker than it seemed. I, I enjoyed it, but it's not something I would say, oh, I have to know you know, exactly what happened to the rest of the story. I didn't feel that. It covered a lot of time, I thought, in the first episode, which surprised me, quite a few years. So I'm assuming there's a lot more to the story because it's, what is it, eight episodes? I think um, Kamel, Nan, is it Nanjiani? Is that how you pronounce him? I thought he was good. It's a difficult part to play because you don't really get a lot of his inner life there's not a lot about what he's feeling it's just him getting ideas and then going okay let's do this which I would have liked to have known more about him and but then he's he doesn't seem to have any friends or any anyone at all so he's nobody to interact with which I thought was a bit missing something missing I don't know if that's accurate How long was Neil Armstrong actually on the moon? When did Europe start speaking English? Did Marco Polo really go to China? CuriosityStream is the streaming service for all things history, plus science, wildlife, and more. What's the real story behind the Mona Lisa? We've got that. What caused the collapse of Rome? We know. Where did we find mankind's earliest ancestor? Come find out. For the holidays, give the gift of curiosity with 25% off gift cards for your curious cohorts. It's holiday shopping season at curiositystream.com slash gift. Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. Yeah, he's quite an insular character, isn't he? You know, he's he's very focused on, as you say, the American dream. And I, w- I was doing a bit of like reading around 
the characters after I'd watched this episode. And it seems that like it took four years from the Backgammon Club to actually it becoming Chippendales. I believe 79 is, is when Chippendale started. I, I don't know, again, how true to the thing is, but I couldn't see a link between actually Paul Scheider and uh, Banerjee. Although the bit that was true was that Dorothy Stratton did set up him using the little bow ties and stuff, the the Playboy Bunny thing for the for Chippendales. It is quite a, a dark story, and I didn't realise till the end I actually did know the, the Dorothy Stratton story. It's been told in a Bob Fosse film called Star 80. I, I felt myself that it was very dry that first, certainly until we get to Chippendales. It is very much of a standard sort of biopic i was expecting i think a little bit more and i would actually say that the the opening title sequence was was akin to a luke special in that we know we've got 20 minutes of really expositional stuff until we get to where we're going but trust us we will get to chippendales at some point i mean i think it livened up maury bartlett is a fantastic actor and i know both of you said you hadn't seen the white lotus but he is the star of the the first season of the white lotus he brings some life into it when it comes in, because before that, you know, we've got this insular character in Stephen in Paul, which is an unrecognisable Dan Stevens, <laughs> completely divorced from Downton Abbey at this point. I I would have actually liked to have seen some of the guys that they recruit to be Chippendales, <laughs> maybe. That, yeah. That, that would have been like, you know, the, the backstory. Why did they decide to do this? But I suppose the the more sort of exotic story and, and reading, you know, the ultimate fate of Banerjee and what, what happens to Nick, I can understand why they've gone down this route. This is also uh, created by Robert Siegel, who last we got Pam and Tommy from. It's sort of similar in the way it's... I mean, the, the first episode of Pam and Tommy was all about Seth Rogen's character, who was the guy who found and distributed the sex tape rather than anything really about Tommy was in it, Pam was hardly in it at all. Uh, You know, you had to wait till episode two to get that performance from Lily James, which was the driving force of the series. Um, And here, I I don't know if he's done a similar thing where it's like, you've got to wait to see more of this, you know, you're getting a bit of a taster, but I'm telling this other story, which sort of will impact on these characters. But I felt like at the end of episode one, two of the people we've been following are dead. So it's just like we need to sort of retract again. I still don't feel like really compelled. I, I get the impression from looking at it that it sort of goes downhill and I feel like eight episodes is too much of a commitment. It almost feels like one of these series that would have been better off as a film, yeah. you know, telling this story. I don't usually watch real life stories basically mm. uh so I, I i watched this and i was pl- surprised about some of the, the stuff that was happening in there because i didn't know the story about steve Banerjee at all i enjoyed it up to a point but i'm not going to be watching anymore it just wasn't my thing i mean kamal nanjani nanjani great performance it looked the part because i've seen a couple of pictures of steve Banerjee, and he looked great and he acted great Paul Snyder's character, Dan Stevens, unrecognisable Dan Stevens, as we said, and he played it brilliantly. He started off as a bit of a con man and then he just turned more and more uh, jealous and then the shock at the end. But other than that, there wasn't that much going on. You mentioned uh, you'd like to see the uh, backstory of some of the Chippendales. 
yeah, that might have been another thing that they could do. One of the Chippendales, I just I remembered, was a hot dog seller because they were all walking around. Some of the, um, the the handing out leaflets and cards. One of them was the hot dog seller. <laughs> he just gave, gave him a card. Next thing you know, he's actually on there doing the same. The Murray Bartley character, mm. great addition. He seems to uh, really bring that energy to for the Chippendales to to be able to do you know change all their routines. And I like the way he butted heads with Paul Snyder. But other than that, uh, there's not much for me to be interested. Oh, yeah, there was. I did like the fact that there was a Sikh in the story, being <laughs> a Sikh himself. The owner of all the uh, the gas stations yeah. is actually a Sikh with a proper turban, a proper beard. But some of this family was not Sikh, I can tell you that. They were not Sikhs. So, <laughs> but there must have just been extras. But great, great seeing a Sikh character on the screen. Going on about how Steve managed to save all his money, I've, I've now people like that who have moved abroad from India to America or or England, where they will just live, work, and uh, that's about it. They'll save their money. My dad used to do it when he was came over in the 60s. He just worked and then slept, worked, slept, and then he was sending money back to India. Right and saving money at the same time, so I know these sort of people. Did he li- live on reduced sandwiches like this? <laughs> uh, he, he lived. What they used to do was there's a lot of Indian people living in one street, and what they'd used to do is one family would cook a meal, and everybody will just come around and eat there, right? And then another family would cook a meal, everybody would be around there. So they'd have uh, these little get-togethers where one one family would cook and everybody would just get together. And that's how they built their community up. They've been all together. And then a bit later on, when the community sort of spread out, uh, they, they stopped doing these sort of things. Then he just transferred to weddings. Then. They'd all get together at weddings and stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm with you, Zucky. I just found this a bit of a chore, and I think I was expecting it to be a bit lighter than it was. You know, obviously, we, we did get the, the scene at the end. But even before that, I just, as I said, found it really dry and exposition 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 you know until we got those routines and that choreography it brightened up a little bit for me but it was almost a case of too little too late dawn are we are we going to be watching any more i don't feel compelled to watch the rest the one positive i'll say for it is it has a great soundtrack if you like disco it's a fabulous soundtrack but other than that no i don't think if you'd like to check it out, it is all up there on Disney Plus from Wednesday. So when you are listening to this podcast, another shift in tone. Now we go to Copenhagen Cowboy. Now, are either of you aware of Nicholas Winding Refn, the uh, creator and director of this? I've heard of the name, but no. nothing else. He directed Drive, Only God Forgives, Neon Demon. Have you seen any of those films? No. I mean, I have, and that's part of the reason that I wanted to sort of discuss this. I'd seen the trailer, which was quite intriguing. Netflix bumped this last year for the Harry and Meghan documentary, which, you know, okay. bit of a... Because <laughs> we were initially going to discuss it at the end of the year, and then it's, oh, no, it's Harry and Meghan. But, the, yeah, I mean, he is known for very much, like, visual style. Clint Mansell's scoring, which was, which was present here... And monosyllabic characters, which again we got here in was it Mew? Is that how you pronounce it? Essentially, we meet her. Um, she's been bought by a older lady called Rosella, who from quite early on we learn is very eccentric. 
Rosella believes Mew will bring her good luck. That's sort of the aura that she's given. That's the, the story behind her. She thinks that Mew will be able to get, help her get pregnant, that she'll be able to give her good skin. She also uh, charges other women of a similar age uh, to cut strands of Mew's hair, thinking that that will give them good luck also. Uh, but it's also revealed that Rosella's brother is the sinister Andres who traffics young women with the promise of making them into models only for them to become his sex slaves. He describes them as his dolls. Uh, New learns that many of these girls live in Rosella's basement and befriends one of their number. Towards the end of the episode, she agrees to run away with this girl. And Mew is banished to the basement herself. You know, we do get a Luke special here early on, which reveals to us that this plan won't go well. I believe what will go on from here is Mew goes on a quest for revenge for this uh, this act basically um let me go over to to Suki on this one first of all I mean you've established neither of you aware of a ref in sort of style and stuff like that so what did you make of this just as a an opening episode very, I suppose what we should say is very very surreal and there are a lot of sort of surreal elements in this aren't there as well Yes, right. <laughs> okay, I decided to watch it in the Danish language with subs, and I just weren't getting it. It just because it was a lot of silence and a lot of uh, camera angle, camera just long. I was just going to say some of the some of the characters are Serbian as well. A lot of the girls, I believe, are Serbian. I just went getting it, so I decided to switch to the dub version. I got it a bit more, be- a bit better, and understood what was going on. It's, it's an interesting story, visually told well, but I don't think it's going to be something that I will be following up on. It's just the character was character of me. She's like a little doll in the middle mm. of all these things that are happening around her, and I'm just thinking to myself, would she really be that uh, silent? That quiet would she not want to do other things and then you have that little scene where she walks into the room walks on the furniture and then a bit later on she does all this stretching with the mouth and stretching her body and it just felt weird and i just Mm. don't know what was going on the whole thing with the girl running away together because it was bookended with her being killed at the beginning and then you see how she ended up being there that was interesting i didn't like uh, sven her husband he takes one of the girls and mm. basically rapes her. Yeah. And then Andre and just beat the, the, the crap out of him, basically. And I think that was just a... Well, one thing you're not saying about Sven is that every time we hear him, he, he <laughs> makes the noise of a pig as well. Yes. I don't know yeah. what... It what is a bit out there. And I think if you're, if you're coming at this like not knowing anything, and actually even for Nichols Winding Refn, this is, is a bit out there. I mean... I I would recommend Drive as a film. I think that is an excellent film and that sort of shows his style. The film The Neon Demon probably bears a lot of similarities with this. That's about young models who are exploited. It's got Elle Fanning in the lead. There are a lot of sort of male characters who are, you know, we don't know if they're like rapists, but they could be, so there is bits in there but i i again to use the word i found this quite dry again and i think there there wasn't enough going on in this first episode and you you know you say that mu herself is just very 
observatory isn't she i think there's that sense we get of like an arrested development she tells someone that she was sold by her mother at the age of eight so that might sort of account for her sort of child almost like a childlike state that she's sort of reversed into to stop her from thinking too much about what's happened to her in the past i read somewhere that reffin said that this was almost like his superhero story with you being the superhero and actually the like a sweatshirt or something that she wears throughout is almost like superman colors i don't know if you noticed that it was like the red and the blue as you say there wasn't a lot of dialogue there was a lot of panoramic shots as well where we just go around the room and and things would be happening out of shots often horrific things that you wouldn't know about until we got to them and then we would go back to see Mew again and I found it quite repetitive and I get the impression that as it goes on you know we will get this sort of revenge story I've read again like a review which says it's like various villains as it goes on so I think again if this was a film this would be the first 20 minutes but this was almost an hour and I just found it not boring because I watched it in one go but quite a drag really there wasn't enough going on for me I, I was thinking when I watched it this is for someone but it's not me um <laughs> I, I found it impenetrable you know it's it's that's a good word it's like you've sort of stepped into it and nobody's explaining what's happening and it, it's more like you, you know you're saying about the panoramic shot it's more like a series of tabloids. okay round two name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes chumbacasino.com no the actual scenes you know they just set up the women standing in a certain spot and then the camera just goes across and the only bit that I thought oh hang on okay here's something for me to latch on to and be interesting in was when you befriended the uh, woman I think her name was Simona and and they had the conversation and I thought oh hang on this is going to get interesting and then oh no no, that's not going to go much further but you know all the stuff with the pigs and Spain I was like I don't understand that. Um, because obviously there is this supernatural element to it. I was like, is he half pig? Have they created him? This is too cerebral for me and I don't, can't appreciate it. But if you are into that kind of thing, I'm sure they would like it. Stylistically, I thought it reminded me a bit of American Gods, the series. A lot of reds and like dark scenes, but, that, but with, with bright colours lighting them. But uh, yeah, no. in a word (laughs) I was just a bit disappointed with this because I think the trailer leads you to believe that it is a lot more vibrant and presumably that is the following episodes this was very dull and there wasn't a lot of colour to it because you were mainly in like Rosella's home there's no likeable characters in this part for Mew and she barely says anything Yeah, the character of Mew she's supposed to be a good look charm but there's no proof that she's doing these sort of things except whatever Rosella's been told. But she's got it in her head that Mew has already enriched the garden outside by all these flowers have suddenly started growing. But there's no other thing uh, to actually say that Mew is supernatural. 
I mean, I, I just don't understand where the supernatural bit comes into it. Uh, I think that's shot. that's the ambiguity to it, isn't it? That there's that ambiguity that she's been, has she been sold like a magic beans, really, something like that, isn't it? It's is this just an old wives' tale, and and she's been convinced that this is what this girl does, um, and she's just been sold, you know, faulty goods, really. That's I think where you were led to believe sort of thing if people like maybe just want to binge a series on netflix then i think there might be some rewarding stuff later on but for three people who watched the first episode i don't think we got that much out of it did we so uh, but that's all there on netflix now and finally um we've got uh, reginald the vampire now when i asked my uh, two colleagues to watch this Suki said to me that he's already watched six episodes <laughs> uh, what what sort of prompted you to watch this because this was on I think late last year in the states it's come uh, now to uh, Sky Sci-Fi I believe they're doing double bills uh, but it will be on now in one binge so what was your sort of impetus for watching this initially to watch it initially is because of Jacob Batalan uh, from um, the, the Spider-Man movies. Because I quite liked him in that. And I thought, okay, seems like an interesting uh, show to watch. Uh, and I know it's supposed to be comedic. And I thought, okay, I'll watch this. And it's one of these shows that I just had in the background. So I'd put it on and I'd just leave it running in the background. And I'd, I'd hear the dialogue while I was doing work. Now, so that way I just went through about six episodes. Mm. Just letting it run in the background. Jacob Batland plays Reginald, who's a bit of a, a loser, works in a dead-end job in the slushy sack, who's got a crush on one of the his co-workers. He goes outside and gives a prayer to whichever... He's an atheist, but he gives a prayer, say, I would just want to have something better. Into his life walks Maurice, who we don't know is a vampire, but he gives him confidence to go to the girl. Uh, Sarah and ask her out and of course he does all that not realising he's been glammed which is like uh, this vampire skill he sets up a date he then asks to go back to Maurice he said look I've never done this sort of thing before and Maurice decides to help him but whilst I'm talking four people turn up who have to be vampires the two female vampires and decide to uh, neck on uh, uh, Reginald uh, take a lot of his blood and he's there claps Maurice then gives him the option if you want to become a vampire, you've got to give him permission. So he gives him permission. Uh, he's now a vampire. He thinks he's got the best thing now. He's got super speed and super reading, and he thinks he's going to be fantastic. But then Morris gives him the, uh, the thing, you will not age. You will not actually change your body. Once you turn into a vampire at that stage of your life, that's how you will remain as a vampire. He, he then starts to uh, check out how his body performs. He's got as I said, super speed, but he, he can't actually go out in sunlight. He gets burnt up. He then has to cover himself up, goes back to the slushy, and all he sees is throbbing veins in people's necks, and he wants to just drink blood, and he can't do it, because he's not that sort of person. He, he can't do it at all. Maurice says, what you can do is just glam somebody, drink their blood. Once you've drank their blood, you just make them lose their memories. Uh, there's a, a little flashback to how Maurice became a vampire. Reginald tells his crush that he doesn't want to see her, but she doesn't take no for an answer, turns up in his apartment, knocks on the door, says, I'm not taking no for an answer, walks in. And the last shot that you see is Reginald not being able to control the fangs coming out of his uh, front teeth, basically. Mm. I have I watched this show thinking it was going to be comedic, and 
is going to be a lot more funnier than it is. But I don't think it's that funny. And the style of the show, where it's bright orange, the slushy sack is bright orange and yellow and all these colours. It just didn't gel with me at all. I know I watched six, actually I watched eight episodes, <laughs> because I ended up watching two more. And it does actually get better as it goes along. But this first episode, I know it introduced all the characters, but if he was watching it, he's thinking, will I carry on with this show? No, because I only had this show running in the background. And I've sort of grown gradually used to the characters that I've, I've started to enjoy the show. But that first episode, it's OK, but it isn't brilliant. I agree with everything you've said, actually. <laughs> that was the, the biggest issue I thought was that it wasn't funny and it should have been. Feels like it should be funny and it just isn't. There was a TV show in the 90s called Forever Night, which was a Canadian vampire show. And I really loved that. And it was cheesy and it was calm. And it was cheap. And this show felt like it. And I thought, this is 30 years later. It should feel better than that. You know, that did. They did the same thing with the swooping of the camera to show them flying. You know, it was the exact same visual trick. I wanted it to be so much better than it was. I just, I think the word we've used a lot, it applies again, was that it felt dry. It felt that there wasn't enough interest in it the uh, Reginald himself is interesting and the premise that that is built on that he is going to stay not particularly handsome and overweight and it's a very interesting thing and a really good metaphor for how it feels to be overweight and how we feel stuck in that position and learning acceptance that you're not going to change and that your issues are not about how you look it's about other things that is a really good idea to put into you know into a vampire uh, show with something quite original but I just don't think the writing around it was good enough to be lively and interesting and, and, I, and I didn't think Maurice was you know the the vampires and the, the other group that are sort of very twilighty you know the good looking vampires in the town I just didn't think any of them were charismatic or anything enough on screen to make you go oh yeah well you can see everybody will fall at their feet. I just didn't think it was enough of anything, if you know what I mean. It wasn't mm. terrible by any stretch of the imagination. And it's good to know what you said, that it gets better as it yeah. goes along. But I do think the humour is missing, and that's its biggest flaw. I mean, this had to go through a lot of the laws, didn't it? Because I think, you know, we're used to vampire law being like, they can't eat human food. And, you know, that was one of the things that he said, oh, yeah, you can eat ice cream, you can eat cheeseburgers. Whatever you could do well when you're a human, you can do better now you're a vampire. So it's the super healing, wasn't it? You know, you get really burnt and then heals up really quickly, you know, from when he is exposed to sunlight for the first time. You know, Reginald as a character was really endearing. And I thought Jacob Atalan's performance, you know, you do warm to him quite quickly. What I would say is I liked all the stuff with Reginald, but all the stuff about vampires <laughs> didn't get me. Yeah, I totally agree. That's what I was thinking. The other yeah, the, vampires. Yeah, the, the, the sort of, as you said, the sort of the twilighty stuff, the stuff which is based in the law. I thought Morris's backstory was really interesting, but I don't know, Suck, if we get any more of that as it goes on. The twist at the end links into his backstory, but his... His backstory is like a sort of Black Panther-esque yeah. freedom fighter. 
I would have liked to. Maybe that story would have been more interesting than well, the Reginald. Well, th- that story does continue in that there's an episode which is completely set in the past and it shows Maurice and Angela on the run. And that really ends on a bit of a downer. As you said, Reginald's the only fully rounded character on show, whereas the others are like Exposition City. They're just there to offer information like Maurice or just to bounce off uh, Reginald slightly because you don't know too much about them at all. I didn't get enough from it. And you saying, Dawn, you know, the the cheapness of it. I know it's a, a sci-fi show, the channel sci-fi, which I don't think does like big budget the best of times. I'm sure you'll be able to tell me, Sucky, some of the other so, sci-fi offerings. One of them, Astrid and Lily Save the World, had more viewers than this, but it's just been cancelled. I'm just going to tell you, there isn't much hope going for it. looks like Dawn's a fan. She put her finger up there like, I love that too. Yeah, I really liked that. I thought that was really good. You know, it had a charm about it, but oh well, never mind. As we said, he's all on now to watch as a box set. I want to say Tuesday nights on Sky Sci-Fi. I also thought it was a little bit too long. You know, it's 45 minutes, so probably an hour with ads. It could have possibly been condensed and maybe a bit punchier. Decide for yourself when when it airs. And that is it. Thank you uh, for listening to us once again. Guys, you just want to quickly go through where people can find you on Twitter. Start with Sucky. Right, you can find me on Twitter at Cyberman underscore 151. You can find my podcast at A The Console and at Trick This Out Pod. Uh, give them a check, please. Thank you. Get me on Twitter at Dawn Glenn 2. Glenn has one N. And uh, the Shipyard UST. Was there another Dawn Glenn when you joined Twitter? Is that why there's the two? I'm DMDB. That's my maiden name because I was apparently the only person in the country with that. What was it? You went from a something to a Glenn? I was a garden. So I was Dawn Garden. <laughs> Which, by the way, don't Google that. You just get a lot of gardening uh, companies. Oh, I thought you were going to say something else. <laughs> <laughs> at uh, Matt's TV Bites for myself, at Luke Custard TV, at Custard TV Pod and visit thecustardtv.com for all your TV needs. Uh, we will be back next week, hopefully with Dawn, uh, to review uh, The Last of Us, uh, among other things. Um, thank you and goodbye. Rate and review us wherever you find us. I think that it's programs like this that help people realise that they're not alone. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes and Facebook. <laughs> Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.